This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. You know what I want? Hello and welcome to the Raptors Weekly Extra Podcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk, and in the most special episode that there has been yet, even surpassing the episode with the vaunted Kevin Arnovitz, the Raptors have just won the championship. Last night, I'm now joined by my colleague at Raptors Republic, Louis Zatzman, and friend. Louis, how are you doing, man? Hey, buddy. You, every time we chat before we start recording... It's great, and then as soon as we go on air, you crack me up, man. You're great. You're the best. Thanks. So, let's honestly, let's just hop into it right away. Most everybody watched the game last night. Over 50% of Canada is supposedly having watched at least some part of the finals, which is crazy. And they all get to see the Lowry title unfold in front of them. The Lowry title, a subversion of the narrative and the full circle culmination of Lowry's identity as a top 10 point guard hiding in plain sight to hear the Raptors analytics team tell it in 2012. Not only did he ascend far above top 10, hovering around three to five at times, but he won a chip before Chris Paul, John Wall, Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, and countless others who were always considered miles ahead of him by the wider NBA landscape. What does this mean for Kyle Lowry's career? Oh, I love that question. I think it means... A few things, and also a lot of things that uh, really existed before, but you know, needs narrative weight to make it true in quotes. So you know, you mentioned all those point guards that are supposed to be better than him. I mean, he's always Lowry's always been better than John Wall. He's always been better than Derrick Rose, except for that one year. Um, like Chris Paul, of course, is the point god, but. But Lowry is just, I mean, he is, like you say, hiding in plain sight. And getting a championship is hopefully a way for that narrative to sort of be accepted by the broader masses. But honestly, I doubt it. I feel like people who doubt Lowry will continue to doubt him, whether or not he is a ship. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame now. I mean, I think that's something the championship did. But I don't know if he'll get the broad appeal we always want because he's not that sexy a player he never has been he just wins that's that's interesting is i think that i wanted the answer to be different but that's probably realistic is that he won't have the broader appeal it's just that 
whereas before he existed at as like a litmus test for the NBA is like, what level of acidity do you bring to fandom? We're going to test you by the litmus test that is Kyle Lowry. What is your take on him? And if it's particularly acidic, we know you're bad for the fandom. We know that you don't appreciate a objectively and objectively great player in Kyle Lowry. And it's interesting that even after he's achieved all this, 26-7-10 and 10 in the closeout game, probably had a bigger case for finals MVP than most people would like to grant him. And now a champion. Even though he has accomplished all this now, and by the metrics has been one of the best players in the league the past six years, and is an analytics darling, is beloved by the Raptors franchise, it's crazy that in the league he's probably still going to be understood as overrated, which is kind of crazy. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, people people within the Raptors fan base, right, people who watch Raptors games all the time, after a cold streak from Lowry, you know, he'll, he'll go one for six from three for a game. People will be like, oh, we need to bring in a real point guard, you know, got to get <laughs> – Got to get Derrick Rose in here. It's people just have no understanding. And Kevin Arnovitz, you know, your buddy wrote about it. Everyone's written about everyone in their grandmother has a piece. But what makes Kyle Lowry so good? But when it comes down to it, it's almost incomprehensible, right? For people who aren't on the court with him, who don't watch it at that moment, because it's stuff that is not recorded in anywhere, not even in the advanced stats. And, uh, and so someone who averages, I mean, what was 14 or 15, 9 and 5 this year, went to the All-Star game. And people just, they don't watch every game twice. They're going to, you know, criticize that. And so whether you're a champion, I mean, he was a five-time All-Star before that and still getting criticism. So I'm sure when people look back at him in the Hall of Fame, he'll be criticized then, then as well. I think I've been making a comparison to Chauncey Billups for, I think, three years. And it wasn't spurred on by anything other than Chauncey Billups being one of Kyle Lowry's mentors. Yeah. Chauncey Billups telling Lowry that, hey, you've got to sort it out in Toronto, echoing the same sentiments that Masai Ujiri did in that famous conversation about Kyle maybe yeah. not having a place in the league. It's interesting that you brought up, should the Raptors be looking elsewhere? Not that you think that, but that that is sometimes posed as an actual question. And not only is Lowry probably going to average 15 assists next year, but he'll more than likely be the incumbent point guard. Talking about a guy who has been suggested as a replacement for Lowry at times, Van Vliet. Van Vliet had a couple superstar isolation plays and made a couple shots out of the pick and roll. It was pretty clear that, or sorry, he did that. And that was incredible. His shot making was fantastic. Our mutual friend Michael Pina wrote about how he's the best end of shot clock shooter there is in the league. Even though that happened, it's still pretty clear that his value on offense is as an off-ball player. I think that's something most clever writers have been clued into for some time. He's been called the smallest forward by some, and with his terrific show-stopping performance against Curry on one end, and his fantastic job as a Reese Valve and shot maker on the other. Do you think there's any chance he'll be cast into roles in which he doesn't fit in the future? And what does his role in this championship tell the league about looking for 3 and D players at the guard positions as opposed to just the wings? Yeah, you said I was going to love these questions. I love it. Um, 
Okay, so a bunch of things. Uh, um, I want to start with him in the future. So he was miscast this year, right? He he spent most of the year as an on-ball initiator, which um, was not the best for Toronto. I mean, la- the year before this, he was a top, I mean, I think 50 player, according to most advanced stats, because he was just used off-ball. I mean, elite defender, elite catch-and-shooter. And uh, that was his whole role, and he he stepped into a much bigger role this year. And frankly, he didn't fill the shoes as well as I expected him to. Um, And then in the finals, you know, he closes the game on the ball, isolating against centers, stepping back, hitting shots. So will he be cast in a role that currently isn't uh, appropriate for him? Uh, Maybe, but it might be appropriate for him in the future. I think it's clear that the Raptors have a plan for him to be the heir apparent to Lowry. And he needs to work on a bunch of skills before then, and he has. I mean, he's gotten a lot better at some of those skills. Still not the best pick-and-roll passer to the roller, um, but I have total faith he can work on those skills. So, yeah, the littlest forward for now, but but certainly a, a point guard, I think, in the future. And so what do you think about that as far as the NBA landscape? He has, and I think the people who understand the game notice how he wasn't a typical point guard. Even though he's small, he handles the ball sometimes, and people might think, this guy's the heir apparent to Lowry. And I think you and I probably disagree on that because I very much do like his role. I'd like to see him expand within the role. But a lot of people see him as a small guy who handles the ball. That's a point guard. It looks like a point guard, sounds like a point guard. That's what it is. But I think some people recognize an Eric Gordon, a Fred Van Vliet, small ball handlers who shoot the lights out and are really crafty, giving the chase on defense, running around pin downs. That can open up into this whole other genre of 3 and D players that has not received love in the NBA to this point. And especially with the the league transitioning to like point guards, it's been so point guard heavy for so long. Is that something we can expect to see in the league? And is Fred Van Vliet one of the red herrings of how that ends up being in the league at some at some point? Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to 3 and D guys, um, a skill that's often overlooked by people who talk about analytics as sort of the, you know, the answer to all those questions is initiation skill remains just so valuable. Um, Eric Gordon was a great example because he's he is a really good secondary tertiary initiator. Um, he can beat most guys off the dribble. And Danny Green, for example, does not have that skill. He is not as good an initiator as many other 3 and D wings. And so you saw at the very end of the game, I mean, he still has his dribble when he's matched up against Draymond Green, right? Most guys, like, just take him off the dribble. Just dribble, go get fouled. And he just wasn't able to do that, and he turned it over. So um, I think maybe the disagreement we have might just be um, in terms of the lexicon we're using. Because when you're talking about a 3 and D wing who acts as a secondary initiator, I mean, to me, that's you can just call it a point guard, maybe not the primary point guard, not the you know Chris Paul understanding of what a point guard is, but that's what Kyle Lowry is. I mean, he's acted for the past three or four years. He spent 
maybe more possessions as an off-ball secondary initiator, sort of a spot-up wing, than he has as an as an initiating point guard. So I think the difference may just be minimal between those two types of players. That's interesting. I guess I think let's well let's talk about Fred VanVleet's future then really quick, and then we'll get back to his play in the finals, and we'll tie a nice bow on it. Fred VanVleet, if he is being like you said, the Raptors. They have an idea of what they want from him. They have a plan. Is that plan, in your mind, and this this can be guesswork, and we can both just be guesswork guys, is the plan for him to be the heir apparent to Lowry, is he going to be the starting point guard of the future? And A, I think that would be wrong, and I think they need to look elsewhere, but still try and maintain him. I think he's an incredibly valuable player. Do you think that that is the course that they're going to go with? And do you think that that's the right idea? What I thought from watching this year, you know, him getting force-fed so many initiating reps, it seemed to me that that is the plan, yeah. Um, probably more the plan if Kawhi doesn't resign, where when, you know, you sort of have a teardown over the next years, assuming Giannis doesn't come. <laughs> and... Uh, and But in that case, I mean, you have Pascal Siakam, a guy who should be initiating most plays in that circumstance. Um, with Kawhi, if Kawhi does stay, then you keep Lowry longer. And I think Fred Van Vliet doesn't step into that role until maybe 2021, 2022. In which case, yeah, I think he'll be ready. I mean... Skills develop, right? Guys usually aren't elite pick-and-roll passers when they first get into the league. It's very rare. And I, I, I think Van Fleet has shown the ability to really work on those skills. So, no, I think uh, it's fine to have him slotted in as the point guard of the future. Oh, interesting. Maybe our first disagreement ever. We'll table, we'll table that for maybe an off-season podcast. You are the guy... And it's a joke we've made a million times. We talked about it last time. You were on the podcast is NBA, or sorry, Fred Van Vliet is an elite NBA defender, damn it. That's, that's your piece. It's famous within the, the fandom of the Raptors, at least those who read Raptors public. <laughs> and it came full circle. He became an elite NBA defender, shutting down for a great, a large part of the series, one of the league's chief offensive options. And now he sits here as this celebrated winner, a clutch shot maker, a tenacious defender. How do you feel about Fred Van Vliet's, I guess, the last 10 games, 12 games he's played? If you could sum it up in a paragraph or two, what would you say about him? It was otherworldly. I never, I mean, yeah, I, I absolutely said he was an elite NBA defender. But barring a few fouls on Curry, you know, behind the arc, some bad fouls, his defensive job in that series was beyond what I would have expected. I mean, and looking back, sure, the guy's ready-made to guard a guy like Steph Curry, a guard without enough size to shoot over someone like Fred, who strength might be Curry's biggest weakness as an offensive player, and it's Fred's biggest strength. And he can use that, you know, incredible hub, biggest strength, incredible, you know, lower body strength to to make Steph off balance because he always seems to be on balance no matter where he's shooting from. 
But with with Fred rocketing around those pin downs on his hip, I mean, Steph was off balance for some of those shots. He missed some of them badly with with Fred guarding him, Um, which in hindsight, sure, he's built for it. But oh, my God. That's uh, yeah, he, he was fantastic and there's no other way to spin it. He rose to the occasion in more ways than one. And like you said, it's it's crazy. It's unfathomable to have if you were sitting there at game three when he was struggling to get the Raptors offense going against the Bucks. Yeah. Kyle Lowry's fouled out. It looks like the Raptors are about to go down 3-0. If you had said, hey, listen, nobody's going to make more three-pointers from now until the Raptors win the championship in game six. He's even going to make more than Steph Curry in the playoffs from this point on. I'd be like, shut up. You're, what, what are you talking about? This exactly. is madness. And, and somehow... That comes out, and not only is he able to bang in triples after shedding Steph Curry on the pick and roll, Steph Curry isn't able to do that back in retaliation to Fred Van Vliet. And yes, it is worth mentioning that there's a lot more attention on Steph than there is on Fred, but that is just insane. It's crazy that the end of that game was Pascal Siakam. I talked about this on the Reaction Podcast. It's nutty that it wasn't Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry who closed the game out. It was Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. Exactly. That is beyond the pale. That is the most insane thing that I, it's unbelievable. I, I have a tough time processing it because you have, I was sitting there with my friends watching the game. There's three minutes left. The game's close. And I just say, I'm like, this is where Kawhi Leonard just has to close it out. He's a superstar. Close this thing out. It didn't happen. It was Pascal and Fred. And that's, if anything, wow, what an indictment of all the teams that don't use their G League teams properly. I mean, what in the hell? It is one of the craziest things ever. And Fred, (sighs) I mean, like you say, not only is he hitting all these threes, but like not he's closing and, and they trust him. Like his teammates trust him. It's not a secondary thing. He's bringing the ball up. He's initiating the offense. And for so long during the year, it didn't go well. And then in the finals, it's amazing. I mean, like when you were watching it with your friends, were you feeling confident with Fred bringing the ball up and initiating the offense? So for one thing, I was a little bit annoyed that they were just going to those actions because I felt like you can go to those actions if the primary action doesn't work. But on the other hand, and this maybe is leaking into when I was more disappointed with the Raptors when they were starting their primary action with 12 seconds left in the shot clock, and that was when Fred wasn't scoring the ball well. That was when the possessions, he wasn't even able to get a shot up, and he just had to pass out of it. Yeah. there It was good offense in a sense to attack DeMarcus Cousins because Clay was injured. DeMarcus goes in because they need offense from somewhere. Apparently, Andre Iguodala recaptured some form, even though he's garbage. I hate him. And they had to have DeMarcus Cousins in for offense. So the retaliation is to target him on defense. And after game five, where you know Kyle Lowry used his speed and embarrassed DeMarcus Cousins going towards the rim four or five times, those little stop and pops, yeah. let it, getting the flyover from DeMarcus Cousins. It was fantastic to watch how much of a gamer Lowry was to score in that way. And then Van Vliet did the exact same thing. I don't blame the Raptors 
for going to the DeMarcus Cousins pick and roll, flattening it out and attacking. It's the right thing to do, and that's, you know, analytics be damned, whatever. Even though I know analytics are fantastic, I'm a big fan, but the <laughs> just target a mismatch. Don't worry about the right type of shot. Worry about whatever shot it is. Worry about a guy who can get a perceived mismatch and score in that way. And to see Fred Van Vliet as the guy that they looked to to get the mismatch is not only indicative of the Raptors' team, how they're built as far as the trust they have in everybody, but also Fred Van Vliet's crazy rise to this pseudo-stardom in the NBA Finals in which he got a vote for Finals MVP. It's, it's kind of nuts. It's the smart thing to do to attack DeMarcus Cousins. It was shocking to see that Fred Van Vliet was the guy who ended up doing it. But even more so than that, shocking that he was the guy who succeeded at it as the Raptors went and won an NBA championship. I've been talking for quite some time because you threw that question back to me. So the next question is, oh man, a little bit out of breath. Kawhi Leonard, in that interview he did with Kyle Lowry, he said the journey is lovely after winning the chip. And he's no doubt had a journey getting to this point, just like he had a hell of a journey getting to the NBA. At 27, accomplishing so much, closing the book on two dynasties, supposedly, is he punching his way closer and closer to a top 10 or top 15 spot all time? Yeah, Kawhi's rise has also been incredible to watch. I mean, if you watched him at San Diego... If you watched him in his first years in the league, his handle was was not good. And now it's, I mean, he is one of the best isolation attackers in the NBA. And so, sure, he's always, you know, had the defense, but, uh, but his offensive ability is really what makes him in that conversation. And so top 10 guy, top 15, I would probably say that's out of reach for him. Um, he could be the best defender of all time, but I don't think Kawhi Leonard can lead an offense in the way that a LeBron James can, in that no matter who's on the floor, it's just going to be elite efficiency because of his presence. Um, I think he's probably more like, you know, 25 to 35, 40 range. That may be nitpicky. But uh, but he he I still think there's just a little bit of offensive limit there. But he's a surefire first ballot hall, hall of famer already. I mean, if he retires tomorrow, this guy is already one of the best players of all time. So I'm, I'm probably just nitpicking, you know, the way you worded the question. Yeah, well, no, it's interesting, right? Is because of how much individual things are weighted because. And not to be anything bad about this Raptors championship, it's wonderful and I love it, but the greatest championship I've ever seen in my lifetime was 2016 with the Cavs, and I think people weight that differently, so I was interested to see, you know, how do you weigh what Kawhi Leonard's done, because there's a couple different things that factor into how he's been able to achieve things, where he's come up, and yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation to think about where he places himself after doing these recent and crazy accomplishments that, you know, we as Raptors fans appreciate so much. Do you think it's strange that Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard 
were all drafted for their defense and all rose to offensive stardom after playing LeBron James in the playoffs. Isn't that kind of in- incredible? Wow, the, the after playing LeBron James in the playoffs part threw me for a loop. Uh, that never occurred to me. That is incredible. Um, and it, it, yeah. it, it, just sorry to cut you off, but it really makes you sad that OG Ananobi was injured this year because apparently he would have been as good as Paul George right now had he been healthy. As per the play the LeBron in the playoffs, enter stardom from the wing formula. Yeah, I think Ananobi has a really bright future. Um, but aside from that, yeah, the, the, the Leonard, where you wait things, that's an interesting question I didn't pick up on at first. Because, you know, take for example game five, he had something like 26 and 12, and it wasn't a good game. And so that's how, how do you rate something like that? Does the nuance of, you know, his, the value of his contributions go down in the history book? Or is it just 26 and 12? They almost closed out. Then they won a championship. So you're rating it as highly as you do, you know, a LeBron 26 and 12 game in the 2016 series. It's interesting how you would weight things like that. I mean, I'll throw that question right back at you. I think that you and I will wait. We'll weigh it with nuance. I think that the wider NBA landscape, the fans will say, not even that they almost closed out. In three years, they're going to say they won in six. Kawhi Leonard was the Finals MVP. And if the Warriors, if this is the end of the dynasty, then they'll say that. They'll they'll touch on the injuries briefly. It'll be sad because of that. But as far as the nuance of it, they're just going to say, oh, look at Kawhi Leonard's resume, two times final MVP, defensive player of the year. Holy moly, he scored so many points. This guy's yeah. incredible. There there won't be any nuance. I mean, the only, the only stats I ever bothered looking up in the finals outside of the ones that I watched like very intimately, like the LeBron finals from 2010 going onward is like Pau Gasol's stats just so I could slander Kobe a little bit more. You know, like, <laughs> oh, wow, Pau Gasol had 24 and 16. Kobe shot six for 24. Who is this guy? Like those types of things. Yeah, use it for and, your narrative. Yeah, and that's the thing, right, is that's why I was so interested to get your your opinion on is Kawhi punching his way into top 10, top 15? Because, yes, there's recency bias in that question. But will people build him up that way? And with rising to that level, people get so much more nitpicky. Like when you said, are we going to look at his game five the same way? Because nobody talks about a Tim Duncan finals game. But if you talk about Kobe, who is on the very top end of conversations as far as GOAT status, you do get into the weeds, and people do bring up 6 for 24. People do bring up LeBron's specific finals games. People do bring up Michael's specific finals games. So, yeah, I love that you flipped that back to me. But I I agree with you. I don't think Kawhi has reached that height. I think he is one of—he's definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer without question. But I don't think we'll be getting into the weeds about his contributions. I think we'll just say, wow, what a damn player. And I'd love to have him back. It'd be crazy that for him to resign. That would be the best thing ever, obviously. To his credit, though, that thing he does where he'll just walk up the floor and hit a pull-up triple, then have a stop, get the rebound, walk up, and hit another pull-up triple to call a timeout, the other two, like to force a timeout. He did that maybe three times in the playoffs, I think. He did that in game four and game five against the Warriors. In the one, the third, one, the fourth quarter. 
And just that, that those moments, those weapons cannot be rated too highly. It's just, it's, that is a Jordan-esque moment that guys just don't have. Yeah, that's the, the thing that's crazy, right, is that's why I was sitting there with my friend saying, Kawash is a superstar, he'll close it out, because his sense of the moment is yeah. so strong and he's so capable. You think back to those, him bringing the Raptors back from these large deficits they built themselves into throughout the playoffs, right, against the Bucks in game six when they closed it out. Like, they were down by such a large margin, and he just went on that torrid pace until the end of the third quarter, and they were down by five or three, whereas it used to be like 14, and you're just like, what the hell happened? And Bucks fans are probably like, what the hell happened? Because he just goes supernova for some period of time, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, the game is back in the balance, and Kawhi Leonard exists on one team, and he doesn't on the other. And you just think that he's the guy who's going to do it, which is why maybe to just end this whole thing that Kawhi Leonard is fantastic, but even more so this Raptors story is about the collective and the team is that Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry all had such large roles on this championship team, even though Kawhi Leonard is one of the largest stars in the league. And the narrative may bend that way that he carried them and carried them, which he did for large parts of the playoffs. But in the finals, the yeah. Raptors culminated in this team they really became a winning team because they weren't super dependent on you know Kawhi Leonard they weren't so so dependent on Kyle Lowry more than they are they usually are of course but is Pascal Siakam Fred Van Vliet Marcus All, Powell whoever else steps into the fray it's just it's emblematic of the way they built the team of just putting all these intelligent guys together who make the right play and the, the game having its ebb and flow and just falling into the right hands at the right times. Agreed. Next question, man. And you, not even a question, just a name. We talked about him before. Pascal Siakam. Maybe not by play style, but by trajectory. Can you remember a player who has had more resounding, or sorry, has had a more resounding most improved player season? Paul George's most improved season was pretty incredible. Um, when was that? Was that? I think 2012. 2012? Or 2013, I believe. And Giannis had an amazing one. Like, Giannis's most improved season was almost spectacular. Like, almost, like, dumbfoundingly spectacular. But the difference between those two guys, though... And Pascal Siakam is, first of all, how crazy we're talking about him in the same breaths as those guys. But second of all, they started from a much higher level, which makes it very different. They were already already very high-level starters. And, and Siakam was not. Siakam was, you know, a good bench player who looked a little overmatched when he was starting as a rookie. And, uh, and his ability to turn into legitimately a second or third option on a championship team, we can say on a championship team now, is, I think, unprecedented. As far as I can, my, my slow-ass brain today, as far as that's working, unprecedented. I think Paul George is a good comparison because Paul George, in his most improved player season, like his trajectory kept on going up in the playoffs. 
the same way Pascal's did because Pascal's performance in the Magic series was incredibly good. Opening up against Philly, being guarded by then Johnson, Jonathan Isaac, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez, and then Draymond Green is an insane murder row of defenders. And just the way that his trajectory didn't stop. It just kept going until he had 26 points in a finals game to, to win the chip and that he became the second highest scoring duo of all time in the playoffs with Kawhi Leonard is there maybe there maybe isn't a direct comparison but Paul George he had he just kept going into the playoffs I guess the last thing I want to talk to you about is just this Masai Ujiri thing so Masai Ujiri shoved the police officer that was denying him access to the court the Alameda County Sheriff's Office is investigating him for misdemeanor battery of a police officer Ujiri refused to show reportedly Ujiri refused to show deputy at the court of credential then twice shoved the deputy striking him in the jaw other other Raptors officials wisely got between Ujiri and the police and kept corralling him towards the celebration situation now being investigated do you have a take or opinion on that I don't um I saw the video I don't really know what happened. I have my assumptions. My bias and my knowledge about Masai Ujiri beforehand would lead me to assume that the reported situation might be different. But honestly, we don't know. And and I think in general, we as a, a group of writers, not you and I, but just in general, we jump to conclusions so early before any information comes out. And so, no, I, I don't have a take about Masai Ujiri. I, I have a, a small take, but that's that's a great point, is that I don't think you and I are very takey people, especially within the Raptors writers group, which is full of very takey people. Yes. And especially jumping to conclusions type of people. But as far as the Masai Ujiri thing, I can't imagine myself, if I was in putting my shoes in, like Bob Myers was trying to get onto the court to celebrate with the Warriors, let's say, and like a police officer was stopping him. And he, like, shoved the police officer. I don't think I'd be upset at Bob Myers. I think I'd be like, what is happening in the arena to not let, like, the president or the GM get on the floor with the team? And I understand why Masai Ujiri, who we've seen is so passionate, was charged up to go get on the stage with this team that he's built. And just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a championship that he helped build. And it's a championship that he helped create and I understand why he was so anxious to get on the floor and all that being said with we don't actually know what happened but I I don't know I don't expect anything punitive to happen against him honestly and my take uh it's not good to hit people but if a guy is denying you access I understand why you're frustrated and want to get him out of the way and uh yeah I, I don't want to talk about any of the larger implications about uh police and all that kind of stuff i think there's more intelligent people to have that conversation one last question in like a minute because you have to go how should we remember this team lewis satsman i think we should remember this team as unique they almost almost never are championships teams built um, within such a short span of time I was looking at um, data for what team, what championship teams usually add in the offseason and at the trade deadline. And uh, Marc Gasol, 
is a far bigger ad in terms of stylistic change than Peja Stoyakovich, for example, was for the Dallas Mavericks, which was the biggest example since the 90s. And so this is a different team. Um, we should remember them for their lovability, for their the, the players who are unbelievable. But I think most of all, we should remember them for being unique, for being the team that felt the dynasty. Thank you. That's Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And if you're wanting it put into great words, uh, Zach Lowe wrote an incredible article. And I'm talking to you listeners. Zach Lowe wrote an incredible article regarding what Lewis just said about how unique and lovable this Raptors team is. Lewis, you have to go, like, right away. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so much for hopping on, man. Love you to bits, and uh, I'm very happy to have had this season with you as a friend and as a colleague and for this stand in the Raptors championship. I hope you have an incredible day, man. It's been a pleasure. Take care, buddy. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. It was incredible to have you. Sorry we had to end it so abruptly, but Lewis is a very popular guy today. He's done an incredible job writing all this year. And he's in high demand as far as radio station, TV spots, all those things go. A big thank you to him for making time for this today. And a big thank you to you for listening, whether you get around to it in the morning, at night, whenever it comes, whenever you enjoy this. Have a blessed day and goodbye. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.